Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today, it's our second interview with James and Hope, talking about how they're pursuing no place left in the Arab world. Our loving mentor and boss, this is one of the few times that he ever told us that we had to obey something that he said. And he made us stay in the United States for a whole year after we got married, before we could move. Uh, and so we were, we were on a plane technically 24 hours before the year mark was up. So <laughs> just because we we're about so we, like yeah. that. So we wanted to be, as soon as the year mark was up, we wanted to be on the ground, uh, in the country we're in. Um, so anyway, we <laughs> we moved January 1st, 2020. Um, we landed here. And we, you know, we got set up. We had an apartment. We had some friends that were already here that we got to team with at the beginning. And so we got set up with an apartment, um, got into some team rhythms, and then immediately started language learning. That first night, yeah, we cracked ourselves to sleep. We were desperately sick. Oh, I had, that's so sick. I had like the words, world's worst cold and so did Greg. It's like an upper respiratory infection. And we, but it was so cold that winter. It was so cold. Yes. We just looked at each other like, what do we just do to ourselves? <laughs> Where are we? You're jet lagged at 4 a.m. Uh, and we literally just cried ourselves to sleep that first night. So, um, and then we got up, we got to meet our language teacher the next day. Uh, and we started doing this, uh, this, you know, incredibly strenuous language learning process uh, and program. And so we spent 25 hours a week, I guess. We had no children uh, at the time. I had no children at the Praise time. God. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Started doing language. And then I think, was it February or March was when the entire world shut down. It was the beginning of the pandemic. And so at this point, you know, we're stuck in our apartment. Meanwhile, there's still like uh, an attempted revolution going on out in the street. And so there's like, there's young guys like lighting tires on the fire down on the intersection in front of our apartment that we can see from the balcony. And then there's helicopters flying around our neighborhood with loudspeakers telling people, stay inside, stay inside. It's a pandemic. Um, and then we started doing our language lessons on Zoom. And so we, Which we is had, more terrible. <laughs> so, so we were, we were trapped in our apartment for like 90 days wow. where we just did language lessons with crappy Wi-Fi. And we were in the middle of the city. There's this one sliver of sunlight <laughs> that would come through the window. It really sounds worse than yeah. it was, but once it was, a, once it a week, a dramatic launch. Once a, once a week, they would let us up onto the roof of our building so that we could get some sunshine. Um, and we just kept going doing language while the whole world shut down. Um, and I would, you know, I would sneak out of the house to go to the grocery store to get what we need. And then I would try to use my language with the butcher and he would laugh at me, you know? Um, then, uh, then we had to go, we had, we ended up having to come back home. This is so our organization, our boss, our loving boss. This is the other time that I've ever been made to do something I really didn't want to do. And we had to come back to America. Our, this, the U.S. Embassy was doing like repatriation flights, whatever. The, so. the airport was closed because yeah. of COVID. And then there still was a revolution. And so there right. was concern that the revolution was going to turn like, violent, turn violent yeah. and then we couldn't get out because of the airport closure. Right. So we, we went back to the States for a couple months. 
Yeah. Um, and continued to do our Arabic lessons on Zoom. Yeah. Which continued to be miserable at like 6 a.m. because of the time change. Yeah. Um, so we, I think it was two or three months that we had. We came back in July. We, so we had a couple of months where we did Arabic on Zoom. Um, and, and then finally we're able to come back here to this country. And, you know, we came back in the, in that interim period, the team that we were a part of had, had sort of dissolved, uh, in the midst of the pandemic and changing life circumstances. And one unit went home and somebody else got married and this happened, that happened. So we came back, uh, by ourselves with one other, with one other, te- one other teammate, a dear friend of ours. Um, and, and so the, the three of us started fresh as our own team, as brand new, you know, total newbie missionaries, still figuring out language in this country that was rapidly falling apart. An economic crisis began during this time as well. You know, so all of a sudden, the you know the dollar in your pocket is worth fifty cents, and then it's worth seven, it's worth twenty five cents, and then you know today, like the largest bill in their economy is worth one dollar, and so you take a stack of bills you know a mile high to the grocery store to get your stuff um and there was a gas crisis no that was the next year that was the next year but that, why don't you share about uh there was a big neighborhood on the port there was a big big and how we started it sort of the shift that engaged that got us more engaged into ministry was a massive explosion that took place massive massive explosion and I mean, it wiped out half the city that we're in. A hundred people died. I would... But it was, it was the, I mean, it was the second largest non-nuclear explosion in human history is what you read on the internet. But massive explosion wipes out half the city. So, so we felt like, well, we have to do something. Um, and at that point, uh, we started going down into this neighborhood that had just been I mean, absolutely devastated from the, from the explosion and just started prayer walking. Um, that was another point where, you know, Jeff had shown up at this point to work with us. Um, honestly, to take care of us, I think he was terrified. (laughs) I think he was really terrified for us. and was looking out for us. So he showed up to just to be with us. Um, and we, Man, we just started going down every morning for probably two hours before people woke up just to pray around the around the neighborhood where the explosion happened. Um, and slowly, slowly, we started to get introduced and, and make connections with local people in this neighborhood. And it's a super insular community. I mean, in nor- under normal circumstances there, we would have no business as Americans walking around the streets of this neighborhood. And we, there, nobody would have opened their doors to us under normal circumstances, but because of this explosion, all of a sudden we just blended in amidst all the other organizations that were coming to do relief and aid and rebuild people's houses and such. And we came by and they're like, what are you here to give out? We're like, well, we don't actually have anything. We just wanted to know if we could pray for you guys. And so we start praying for people. Um, and, and people's prayers, our prayers start being answered. Miraculously. I've never Miraculously. seen so much answered prayer in my life. And I so, mean, that whatever you prayed for happened. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Give us, it a just memorable, like give us a memorable example of, of that. The first one was this woman, we call her Coco. And she, uh, you know, she 
her house was completely destroyed and she was severely injured in the in the explosion. And we came by and she was sitting out front of the house drinking a cup of coffee. And she saw us walking down the street. We walk up to her and she stops us, you know, and she's like, hey, come sit, drink a cup of coffee. And we're like, okay, so we're drinking coffee in front of the rubble that used to be our house, you know, and we're listening to her stories and saying, hey, we're just we're here in the neighborhood praying on behalf of the neighborhood in the name of Jesus for God's blessing in your lives. She's like, <gasps> so she, you know, she runs us into her house and she says, look at this, look at what happened to my home. You know, it's, it's, and it's totally destroyed. And so we pray with her right there in her home and she's tearing up and we're all kind of tearing up. And then uh, I think two or three days later, we walk past that same street and her house has just been completely restored. Um, you know, so some organization came, I guess, and, and she just sort of picked her. I don't know why they picked her, but picked her house, rebuilt the whole thing. And it was, you know, better than it was before it was blown up. And she looks at us and she says, it's because of your prayers. And there's all these other houses in the neighborhood that aren't getting rebuilt, you know, but one her house got picked first. Um, people would chase us down. I mean, after people that, would literally yeah. come up to us and say, we heard that you're praying and God answers your prayers. Come and pray for us. Yeah. Um, we had started a Bible study in Coco's house because of this first answered prayer. Coco ended up being our first believer and yeah. first baptism, by the way. So she gets baptized. Muslim Sunni background. She she gets baptized and then she she has a group of eight women gathering together in her home to listen to stories from the Bible. And to and for us to pray for them. And so we're praying for people's needs and we're listening to stories from the Bible. And our language at this point is just terrible. Awful. I mean, we are like at this point with our teacher, we're memorizing stories from the Bible. And sharing. Them. And then later that afternoon, we're in the harvest sharing that story that we memorized, asking four questions, and then we're unable to understand people's responses. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we're praying for people and we're sharing stories. You know, we share a story and then and then Coco is just like arguing back and forth with the eight other women, you know, the eight other hijabi women in her home that we can't understand what's going on, you know. And then so she introduces us to her mom and we start praying with them and sharing stories with them. And then one day, you know, Coco's mom goes, well, if if you pray for my son and he gets a job, then I'll believe, you know. She said, then I'll believe in your God. I'll believe in your God. And so we pray in the name of Jesus for her son to find work. We come back the next day and he got a job as a security guard over in some company and she's like well we baptized is teta coco's mom and though yeah today the oldest muslim woman i've ever seen baptized yeah she's gotta be like 85 during the you know another house that that jeff had gotten into he was he was sharing the good news and um he actually had a we had a he had a translator working with him that we had met through another series of divine connections and and so he's sharing the good news and then he prays for this dude. Um, and when he prays for this guy, you know, the translator doesn't translate the prayer, doesn't, you know, and, and, and Jeff's praying in English. Um, and Jeff finishes his prayer, says amen and looks up and the guy he's praying for is in tears. And then, and then the guy he's praying for talks to the translator and recites every word Jeff just said in prayer, like the entire prayer. He just, he knew it. Um, and so without any translator involved, just, you know, God just did it. Just let this guy understand the prayer of this foreigner in his home. 
I mean, there was a there was a series of sort of outlandish miracles yeah. in this neighborhood. Um, but I would, in summary, like that was how we started. You right. know, before so that was in Ju- July was the explosion. Actually, the beginning of August, we la- we landed in uh, January, and then we had to go back to the states for a couple months. So. During the few months that we were there before then, James and uh, James and I were doing our best, sharing with the like this much Arabic we had, and uh, James had met some guy that was used that was a believer and was kind of discipling him. You know, so we were doing our best to do something, but we really had very little ministry happening whatsoever. Right. Um, and we really got going with this disaster relief after the explosion, and it just. All we did was start walking around and praying for people right. again with this much Arabic right. um, and God just really moved. And so we just took, like we talked about before, just took those open doors um, <laughs> and started some DBSs and saw some people come to faith. And that's kind of how we got launched into right. the world of making disciples in and this crazy country. The weird thing is after all those miracles, um, you know, that's probably the least fruitful work that we've ever gotten to be a part of starting in this country. Uh, that specific neighborhood. That specific neighborhood. I mean, I, I feel about that neighborhood almost like how when Jesus talks about Capernaum, you know, he's like, so many miracles were performed in you. And yet, you know, it, you're going to be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment. Like, it's, <laughs> so many answered prayers, so many miracles. I mean, and just... uh you know, altogether, I think only four people ever profess Christ. Uh, and we still are in contact and, and, with Coco. And one of them, one of them, Coco, is still following Jesus. And the other one's turned away. Um, and I don't know why. You know, I think only God knows. But but that that work in particular, it, it launched us into getting busy doing the work. And we learned a lot. Uh, God performed many miracles. We couldn't, but we couldn't be doing any of the things that we're doing now if we hadn't done that. Correct. We learned how to tell a Bible story to Arabs. We learned yes. how to sit down mm-hmm. and drink their coffee, and and like we just learned how to do life and be with people and be in people's homes. Not to mention the language um, during that time. And I think at the end of the day, God is in control. He knows what He's doing. He chose those people in that neighborhood and us yeah. to be with them. So I don't think that that was wasted time, no. but, it, but James is right. It's not, we're seeing some really cool stuff happen. And that's like, as cool as those miracles were, as far as real like kingdom fruit of people coming to faith and especially churches being planted, that is the, the, the least of kind mm-hmm. of what God has done. But right. I still look on that time fondly. And, and I, I still encourage other people who are starting off to do what we did which is just like pick a neighborhood and pray and walk around and meet people and get invited into a home and learn how to do that. You know, I think the thing that's happening right now, that's kind of the most exciting, if you will, (laughs) to me, um, is we got introduced to a brother. He's a Muslim background believer. We'll call him Muhammad. Um, who's from, who's from way out in the village area of the of our country um, from a particular area that's dominated by sort of a tribal culture um, with 
you know, the whole area is just really heavily wrought with drugs and with violence. Um, I mean, every day people are getting into gang fights and killing each other. Mm. Um, and that was this guy's past. He was a drug dealer for most of his life for 30 years. He was a drug dealer. Um, he spent about 10 years in prison for murder. Um, and it was while he was in prison that he started to pray and say, you know, God, who are you? God, where are you? Um, and once he got out of prison, you know, he's goes home to, you know, he lost everything at this point. He's, he's at his ancestral home in the village and God wakes him up one day, wakes him up from his sleep and says, you know, today's the day I'm sending you someone go sit outside and wait. And so he's sitting out on his front porch and this car rolls to a stop in front of his house. And this big, tall German missionary gets out of the car who can't speak any Arabic. Um, and, and Muhammad goes, that's him. That's the guy. So he runs down and he grabs him, takes him up on the porch. He starts feeding him and giving him coffee and they can't communicate. And, and, and the guy uh, was driving this rental car and, you know, he's sitting there on the porch and he gets a phone call from the rental company and they're like, Hey, your car has been stolen. We found it out in this region of the country and it's all, you know, it has to have been stolen. He's like, no, it's me. I'm driving the car. Please turn it back on. Um, and so, you know, all coincidence, the, the car had just randomly rolled to a stop in front of Muhammad's house. So then they, the company remotely, you know, turns the car back on for him. And this German guy goes, gets a translator, comes back and shares about Jesus with Muhammad. And he believes right there on the spot. Believes, gets baptized. Um, and maybe a month later, um, the, our the teammates. German missionary goes home. Yeah, German missionary, German. German missionary goes home back to Germany. Maybe a month later, we, we're out in the harvest in, uh, in the capital. Um, and we run into this woman who's also out talking to people about Jesus. And so she just latches on to us. A national. A national lady. A local. A local lady. So, so we take her out to lunch, get to know her. Turns out this woman is the translator that was working with that German guy. So we start trying to train her. We're teaching her about what a person of peace is and how to get into a house of peace. This, that, and the, and the other. And she says, oh, that sounds just like Muhammad. And so she tells us this story. And... And we're like, well, we don't need to go find a person of peace. You've got a person of peace. <laughs> she was asking if we would go out sharing with her, you know, preaching with her. Um, and and we were like, uh, maybe we should follow up with, she had told us his story. Maybe right. we should go follow up with this guy before right. we go find other people. And and so, so she's like, well, what are you guys doing tomorrow? We can go meet him. And we're like, nothing. Well, let's do it. And so, you know, 24 hours after meeting this woman in the harvest, you know, we're in the car with her and we're driving an hour and a half over the mountains into this village to meet this guy, Muhammad. So we get there. Um, you now it's him. He's got two wives. He's got 16 children. <laughs> and we're all sitting out on the front porch drinking coffee. And I just ask him, you know, well, what's your story? How did how did you become a follower of Jesus? And he tells this 
tells me this testimony in front of his whole family without, you know, he doesn't back down just in front of everybody tells me exactly what happened. And then I look around the room and I, I ask his wife and I ask his kids, what kind of change have you seen in your dad since this whole thing happened? And they're like, Oh, he's a different man. You know, he doesn't get drunk anymore. He doesn't beat us. He doesn't snort cocaine. He does, he's not using drugs anymore. You know, his, his wife, his wife just goes, I wish that you had come earlier to change this man for me because mm-hmm. of the change in his life. Um, and so, so we, we so hit it off. <laughs> we hit it off with this guy. We latch on to him. We start training him. You know, we're going to teach you how to identify your network of relationships. We're going to start praying with you for those people. We're going to teach you a simple way to share your testimony and a simple way to explain the message of Jesus to people, the gospel. And we're going to go with you. We're going to help you explain your story and the gospel to others. Um, and so, you know, at that, that week, we go back, we share, we go with him to share with his sister. Go into his sister's home. Um, so his sister and her husband are there. He shares his story and he shares the good news. And they, on the spot, they they're ready to believe and they're they're ready to get baptized. And so we set a time for tomorrow for them to be baptized. For twenty four hours later, um, that night, you know, his sister's son comes home and he's he's a uh, he's a jihadi. I mean, there's no other way to put it. This guy. He's, he's a radical Muslim. He's a radical Muslim. So he comes home, says, I'm sorry, you decided to do what? <laughs> and, and, and Muhammad's there, and this whole thing is taking place in front of him. And the son picks up a rock and just throws it as hard as he can at his father's head. And the rock, you know, his, his dad dodges the rock. It slides right over the top of him. And then it just pounds Muhammad right in the chest, sends him to the ground, unconscious. He's and he's an old man. <laughs> uh, it's like 65, but he's a rough 65. And, and so, he, you know, he goes to the hospital um, and it's it's a couple days later we get to circle back around with him. We get to talk to him and he's like, I don't know what's going on, but my whole village keeps calling me, you know, the very first infidel. <laughs> Um, like the, the first and the biggest. And I just told him, well, congratulations. You know, you're number one, you're not number two or number three. (laughs) Um, and so, so that was sort of the beginning of our relationship and our friendship with him. We kept training him. Um, we taught him that when people want to persecute you when people hate you and people try to kill you, it's your job and your responsibility to forgive them and to try to show them love um and to try to share the good news about jesus with those people it's it's uh we read the story of david and saul with him and it's the only time in my life that i feel like that story has been so aggressively applicable i mean it's like normally you're not you don't have to tell people about revenge killings that they shouldn't do that and so actually my dad and john read the story of david and saul where where david forgives saul and he takes beats of his cloak and he has this opportunity to kill his enemy and he doesn't um and that really spoke to muhammad and so it's just the bible has all you need and so so you know i mean you have to remember 
that this guy has spent 30 years as a drug dealer. He's in jail for murder. He's from this very infamous tribe that, I mean, they, they, if, if they get into a fight with another tribe, they'll just go kill six of them. You know, I mean, he's, he's, they're a very feared people. And that's been his reputation for all of his life at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now all of a sudden when somebody, you know, comes and stands in front of his house and starts cursing him and cursing his father, you know, you know, he'll just walk out there and say, look, I forgive you because I'm a disciple of Jesus, but you need to quit. <laughs> and so his reputation after having gone from, you know, a murderer, a drug dealer and a troublemaker to a man of forgiveness and a man of peace, that, that story has spread from his village to many other villages around him, where at first, you know, the people in his village called him uh, uh, the very first infidel, you know, now people... And I've witnessed this. But when we pass by people on the street, they look at him and they say, Abuna, which means our father. They're they're joking with him like, oh, it's the priest. It's priest Muhammad, you know. He's here to talk to us about Jesus. Um, and that, that story of, you know, his testimony has spread throughout his village to where now there's there's probably 12 homes just in his village where the, everybody in and the family has come to faith and he's baptized them and they've started gathering together to do church. Uh, and that's just his village. And the area he lives in is about 186 like leading villages. And there's all these small little villages that sort of break off from the main villages. Um, but this, this valley uh, is huge and it's, and it's full of all people like him, his people group people with his experiences and it's people from his tribe and, and, and their network of relationships spans throughout almost the entire Valley. Um, and at this point there's 35 of those 186 villages that have baptized believers gathering together in their homes, um, to do church together. Some of those villages have four homes where they host church. Some of them have 12 homes, uh, some of them have just one house, you know, and some of them have one family who believes the message but hasn't been baptized yet. Um, but this, you know, this whole network has sprung out of this one man of peace and sort of coming alongside him, training him and his leaders, and then helping him to develop from among those people that he leads to Christ, helping him to develop a new generation of leadership that he would pass on authority. Um, and so we, you know, we're really clear and he's really clear at this point that, that we, as the disciples of Jesus, we don't have a pyramid style of leadership. We don't have anybody that we look to as the big boss or the priest or the, the, you know, we don't call anybody our father, you know, um, except God, except God. It, we have a circle round table style of leadership where when we come together, all of us come together as equals. And even though I've been a believer longer than Muhammad, he has every right according to, according to you know, his faith in Christ to correct me, 
if I say one word that comes from outside the Bible. And so we come together as a round table of leadership. We don't have a head except for Christ. You know, Jesus is the head. Um, and, and when we have new brothers that come into the family, we extend the same DNA to them. We give them all the authority that Christ has given us. <laughs> and we welcome them into this round table. And we say, look, you know, we don't listen to anybody except the Bible. You know, Muhammad will say, I don't listen to the priest. I don't listen to the sheikh. I don't even listen to James. You know, and he'll point at me and I'm just sitting there and they're like, yeah, it's me. You know, I listen to the word of God. Um, and, and us as the disciples of Jesus, that's our constitution. We walk according to the word of God and we take that constitution and it goes on top of our heads. We all submit to the word of God. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of that, you know, come on, join us. And if not, you know, there's the door and we love you. <laughs> so that's two years. That and that's it was, two, it was years. two years ago yeah. that we met Muhammad, just to be clear. So that's all happened in the past two years. Where's it going? What are you talking about? <laughs> that's yeah. A good yeah. Well, at this at this point, um, so Muhammad's got a right hand man that he baptized maybe a year ago now, um, and they they together have formed this little Paul and Barnabas apostolic duo where they get in his his old beat up Toyota Corolla. Um, you still there? Yeah, still gotcha. Yeah, can you hear me? Um, yeah, I can. So they they get in his old beat up Toyota Corolla and they drive to new villages every day to either share the gospel with new people or to, you know, follow up with people whom they have shared with and do. Uh, it's like spiritual nourishment for the disciples to do discipleship with these guys um, and their village. They've decided that these 186 leading villages in their region, they think that in the next by 2026. They hope to have finished every leading village throughout their region, that there would be at least one house church in every single one of these villages throughout the region. Um, and that's that's their hope and their goal is that between now and December 2026, that, that they would have finished this first district. I mean, it's an area the size of Galilee. Um, my hope is that if they can finish just one district of this country, then that will open the door to make it possible to finish other districts in this country and in other Arab nations around us. You know, somebody has to be, has, somebody's got to slay the first giant. And I, I think these guys are going to do it. <laughs> I think that they are actually have what it takes. Um, just watching them, their their love for Jesus, their willingness to forgive their enemies, their boldness with the good news, um, their 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 fearlessness in the way that they go share with new people. Um, I think that they've got what it takes. So that's their vision. But at this point, you know, we have our our teammates who served here with us for you know a while, maybe a year and a half, two years, have moved to another Arab nation just recently. And, uh, and he was out one day, um, our a buddy of mine was out one day in this other nation and he was going out sharing the gospel with strangers. He found this cab driver. He shares the gospel, with this Muslim cab driver in the capital city where he's at. 
And he, you know, he's sharing the three circles with him. And he asks him, have you ever heard this message? Have you ever seen this picture? And the cab, cab driver says, I've heard this message and I've seen a picture that looks almost exactly like what you just showed me, but just a little change to it. And he goes, well, where, where do you hear this from? And he says, well, this guy came from, and he names our country, and he names the area that Muhammad's from. You know, He says, guy came from there just a couple weeks ago, and he shared the same message with me, and he showed me a picture that looks almost exactly like that. You know, so I'm hanging out with Muhammad, and I told him that's what happened. You know, this happened, that happened. And Muhammad goes, I baptized him. I know him. I know him. You know, he's the only one from all our villages that go back and forth between this nation and that nation for work. And so he calls him, did you go share with us? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. And so these, these, these guys who have a history of being terrible Muslims, you know, like meth-making rednecks <laughs> are now following Christ and God's using them to open up doors in neighboring nations and uh, to go to peoples and go to places that us as foreigners can't go. Another, just, just this past week, I went to Muhammad's house and he told me about another brother, one of his leaders who's got seven or eight house churches in his village, his area. Um, and his, this guy, uh, we'll call him Abdullah. Uh, so Abdullah, his brother-in-law is from a neighboring Arab nation and he lives in a city where one of one of our disciples from here traveled to that city a year and a half ago um and when he made it there he started to share the gospel and he baptizes a couple of people and then the people in that city were so aggressively against the message of the gospel and his his family found out about where he had gone and so they sent someone to have him murdered um and and we found out about this through the network of disciples through a, a neighboring network of disciples. And in this city where one of the guys from here that was baptized gave his life for the gospel, you know, one of Muhammad's guys baptized his brother-in-law <laughs> who lives in that city, you know? Um, and, and so, so the good news, you know, they're, they're pursuing a vision to try to cover their district, their region, um, that every single village, every single place, every single people would be engaged with the gospel in their area. But as they've continued to pursue that vision, the gospel has broken out and it's, it's surpassed their own vision to where there's new connections being made into neighboring countries and into areas where we as, as foreigners just have absolutely no business showing up um, into places so dangerous that that you know we couldn't have imagined how god might be able to start a church there <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it just seems like it's that's where i see this going steve i think that i think that god is using these guys who uh you know i mean they are the last people that anyone in this country would ever choose to be missionaries for christ and <laughs> And I think God is honoring them by choosing them and using them to spread his message of love and hope and forgiveness uh, to a hurting world. If you're enjoying the Movements podcast, 
There's two ways you can help out. One is by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. The other way is by spreading the word through social media or just straight old word of mouth. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.